1: This is the Book Riot Podcast, the weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading, except that's not what we're doing this week. But anyway, that's what we say every time, so we're saying it again. This is episode 238. We're recording on Thursday, November 30th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com with the second half of our annual holiday recommendation show. Good feedback already from um, last week. I didn't share some of the email we got back already, Rebecca, but it's, it was all very oh. good. Um, the insiders were, in the insider Slack, a lot of people were suggesting other recommendations for recommendation requests, which I took as an insult because we done, we done <laughs> recommend it already. No, I, I'm, I'm just kidding. Well, but, but you um, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they had ideas too. Um, I, the multi-headed I didn't Hydra. <laughs> Right. I need to figure out a way in, in future in future times to capture some of those recommendation requests, but um, that you know new, new, new processes mean different results I'm not prepared for. but we got a whole bunch more. I'm excited, some different ones. You know we'll do our first sponsor. it, was, it got me thinking about how, how different it is that we do get a lot of recommendation requests about audio these days, way more than we did. Is this our fourth did we do this one the first year that we did this? Ooh, is this something we doing in the f- beginning??
0: I don't remember if we took yeah. requests the first year or if um, if we like just talked about holiday book ideas. I feel like we took requests because I remember getting like warm fuzzies in my soul mm-hmm. when you put Christmas lights on the Book Riot podcast oh, logo. Oh yeah, the right. First time. I do
1: remember that. And if you look in your podcast player this time, there should be that same um, very shankily uh, photoshopped together Book Riot podcast logo with some clip art Christmas lights on them. All right, let's do a sponsor. You know, a lot of audiobooks request this year, a lot of audiobook requests every year, even more these days than the old days, and Penguin Random House audios got you covered. Listening to an audiobook can bring friends and family together this holiday season. Listen to, say, Turtles All the Way Down by John Green on your next family road trip, and you could discuss what's going on in that story, or listen to Seven Days of Us by Francesca Hornack with your friends at Book Club to, to prepare for the holiday season. Connect, listen, and discuss audiobooks from Penguin Random House Audio. They have books that are perfect a way to bring your friends and family together while you're traveling or cooking or sitting around waiting in an airport. You know, share some e- earbuds or something like that. You can keep up with your bestseller list. That's an easy way to do that. Get a page-turner while you're waiting from um, the Delta Shuttle to LaGuardia. You can listen to Origin by Dan Brown, Uncommon Type by Tom Hanks. Not sure if you've heard of that. Tom Hanks likes typewriters, and he wrote about them uh, in short story form. Or Little Fires Everywhere by the Great Celestine. The Book of Dust is one that's a great family. You got little older kids, tweens, teens, you know, all the way up to anyone who likes good uh, fantasy. Book of Dust has been getting great reviews this year by Philip Pullman, a prequel companion series to the His Dark Materials um, trilogy, which has been really popular for a couple decades now. So go to tryaudiobooks.comslash book bookriot for a free full download. That's right. A free full download. Try audiobooks. dot com slash bookriot. Thanks so much to Penguin Random House Audio for sponsoring this episode of the Book Riot podcast. All right, you want to read the first one.
0: Yeah, I'll do the first one. Um, Our first one this week comes from Bridget. She has two requests. The first is that she has a four-year-old niece who was adopted from China and loves reading, and she wants to give her some books that aren't just white boys or white girls, basically more diverse books that she can be read or that uh, can be used to help her learn and improve her reading. And her second request is for herself. She's been in a reading slump lately and is looking for a fun adventure to pull her into its world. She loves the video game Uncharted 4 and the newest Tomb Raider with a bad guy chasing a sarcastic or funny protagonist on a rollicking treasure hunt with great writing that elicits empathy for the characters. Bridget, you just summed that up very nicely. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a hell of a shelf talker. Um, she loved Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore and Ready Player One, but also loves historical elements. Um, and she's Looked at some treasure hunt books, but they all seem to be former Navy SEAL alpha male types, and mm. she's just not into that. Um, so any help is appreciated. You want to start here?
1: Sure. Um, four-year-old um, for books that are not just white boys or white girls. Uh, my kids and I have uh, a four-year-old and a six-year-old right now. Um, Brad Meltzer has this series, and I, it's I think it's just called the I Am series. So. And each one of the books is about a historical figure. Um, I'm recommending here. I am Rosa Parks. I am Jane Goodall. And I am Jackie Robinson. And it tells the life story of those figures, you know, in a way that a four to six year old can understand. The illustrations are great. They remind me a lot of Calvin and Hobbes, the illustrations in this book, to the point that I was like, did Bill Watterson illustrate this? And I was like, he's basically the J.D. Salinger of of illustration, so I can't imagine that's the case, but it was someone else, but it does look a lot like it, to give you a sense of the illustration style, takes on the the reality of what Rosa Parks dealt with. You know, it talked about racism, talked about why she was sitting in the back of the bus, why things were happening to her, um, why Jane Goodall was revolutionary, because, you know, basically it wasn't thought that women could do scientific field work, why Jackie Robinson was who he was, why there wasn't a black player in baseball before, um, the difficulty they all faced, um, I have to say that it gave has given my kids a really good framework to talk to me and talk to uh, Michelle and then to understand difference around the world. Um, it's been great. I have to say, I didn't wince when I read a couple of the books because it was done wrong. But it's just like, I'm now reading about racism with my kids. And that's just what I'm doing mm-hmm. now. And it's something I wish it would have happened to me when I was younger. Um, but they're great. My kids love them. They, read, they want us to read the same ones over and over again. They like the stories. Um, it's motivational. Um, I think they're great, and there's a whole series of them, so you can look up what they are, but um, I, I do recommend the Rosa Parks, Jane Goodall, and Jackie Robinson ones, especially. Um, again, Treasure Hunt books, my, my go-to would be for you, Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore, But I think maybe you would like um, A Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas, which is a gender-bent Sherlock Holmes, um, basically, where the Sherlock Holmes character is a pseudonym for a woman uh, named Charlotte Holmes. And they are, you know, doing—it's set in the contemporary time of, like, I guess it's Victorian England. But it has the treasure hunt kind of thing about it, because they're not only solving mysteries— the more interesting thing to me about... There's two of, two of these Sherry Thomas, um, Charlotte Holmes books so far. The second one is uh, Conspiracy in Belgravia. But the real trick is for Charlotte Holmes how to figure out how to live in the world the way she wants to live in the world. And there's a lot of subterfuge and figuring things out. So it has it, it's not actually looking for treasure, but it is sort of a life puzzle um, that she's trying to put together with her family and her acquaintances and the people she meets along the way. Um, I, I thought they were great. I, I read them both in one or two sittings. I read Conspiracy in Belgravia the day it came out on my Kindle this year. Just thought it was really good. So that's my recommendation for you there.
0: All right. Um, I had nothing off the top of my head for children's books. So I'm just going to offer a shameless plug for Book Riot's own Mm. coverage of children's books because all of our coverage of all books uh, includes... Books by people of color, books about people of color. So if you go to bookriot.com and you click the children's tab at the top of the homepage, it will take you to all of our latest children's book coverage with tons of lists and roundups and themed things. And you can, you know, find something that combines what your four-year-old niece is interested in. Mm -hmm. And um, that also conveys your values for diversity and giving her books that she can see kids who look like her reflected in. So that's um, just bookriot.com and then click on the children's tab for... You and I should say our writers do an amazing job um, with all the coverage, but the children's coverage I think is especially challenging because we get those studies every year that it's mm. like three percent of children's books are by or about people of color, um, and we require them to make at least twenty-five percent in their roundups. So they really do lots of lots of research, um, lots of legwork, and you should be able to find great resources there. Um, For yours, I latched on to this guy, bad guy chasing the sarcastic or funny protagonist on a rollicking treasure hunt, and I'm doing a little Put the Thing Down, Flip It and Reverse It uh, with Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway. It's about Joe Spork, whose father- was one of London's like biggest gangsters, and he ran in the London Underground, and Joe Spork just wants a quiet life. He's a clock fixer, a clock repairman. Um, but one day he repairs a clock, like a clockwork mechanism, basically, that he doesn't realize is accidentally triggering a 1950s style doomsday machine. And so, like, so much for Joe's hope of just having a quiet life. He is on the run. He's being chased by bad guys. He intersects with a woman named Edie Bannister who's like an octogenarian former super spy. Um, There are serial killers after him. There are these crazy monks that um, come after him. There's like mad villains and so many capers. And it's not quite a treasure hunt. This is, you know, the clock is going to run out and the doomsday machine is going to go off. Um, but the voice of the story is so funny um, and sarcastic and fun. Um, the year that I read Angel Maker, it was the most fun reading experience I had that year. And it remains in the top of that category when somebody wants something that has that you know, capery, fun feel with a really memorable voice. Um, so that's Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway.
1: Before we move on, um, you were wise to recommend our children's coverage. Um, in addition to that, I might also recommend our kids' newsletter, um, The Kids Are All Right, written by Karina Glazer, whose book I'm going to mention here in a little bit, but she herself is a middle grade author, um, and all sorts of stuff happened there, too, so that's an easy way to have it sort of show up in your inbox um, every Sunday? I think it comes out every Sunday, Um, but I'll put a link in the show notes. You can check it out there, but The Kids Are All Right uh, there. Okay, moving on. This is from Sarah. My request isn't exactly holiday-themed, but I need help. My husband and I are looking to start a family, and while most of our children will be adopted, we're going to try to have one the traditional way. And I've been on the hunt for pregnancy books for both mothers and fathers that aren't grossly pink, use silly language, and or speak very condescendingly to about two men. I'm also pretty wigged out by the deeply entrenched hetero and cisnormity. We're both of those things, but I like to support people who make an effort to be more inclusive in their guidebooks. Basically... I'm looking for books with an intersectional feminist vibe or at least something that doesn't talk to my husband like he never left high school or to me like I'm planning on giving up all of my prior goals and identities in order to be someone else's, to be someone's mother. Thanks. We went to the jury for this one. Or you went to the jury, I should say.
0: Uh, We did. We went to the Book contributors. And I didn't know, um, since you and Michelle have kids, I know we've talked about parenting and pregnancy books before. So you might have um, something to toss in here. But one of our contributors is um, also a doula and a mother herself. And she recommended From the Hips, A Comprehensive, Open-Minded, Uncensored, Totally Honest Guide to Pregnancy, Birth, and Becoming a Parent by Rebecca Odes. Um, She draws on experiences um, from real parents and doctors and midwives and other um, baby and birthing Pros to come up with, you know, accurate and up to date information about getting ready to have a baby and then having a baby. Um, But the framework of the book also explores a really judgment free way of going through all those endless decisions that you have to make along the way of pregnancy and childbirth and parenting um, and how to deal with parents and uh, your partner, sorting through all of the voices of experts and gurus and guides and trendy techniques and conflicting theories, um, to help you and your partner, um, determine how you want to go through that experience. So I haven't read it personally, um, but sounds good. I trust our contributors. So again, that is From the Hips by Rebecca Odes. The,
1: the The only recommendation I have here, um, I don't have a feminist intersectional vibe, but one that I found helpful, um, when we were having, especially our, our, our first, our son, um, The Birth Partner, um, The Complete Guide to Childbirth for Dads, Doulas, and All Other Labor Companions. So even in the subtitle, you get a sense there that it's not all the dads out in the waiting room um, with mm-hmm. uh, cigars um, and waiting <laughs> to be out there. So like, it's a very much a how-to practical thing. It's not nourish your soul, this sort of thing, but it is about being there, being present, what to do, what to expect, how to be helpful and supportive. Um, I found it very helpful. I think um, whatever value I added to the experience uh, had something to do with having read that book uh, with an open mind. Um, that's the birth partner. And the n- the name of the author, I'm quick Googling because I forgot to look it up. Uh, Penny Simkin, S-I-M-K-I-N, the birth partner. Okay, um, you're up.
0: Yeah. Next one is from Kim. She runs a book club at the office. They are a water utility and the book club includes plant operators, engineers, and accounting personnel. They read one business book every quarter and they meet to discuss it over lunch. They've read and loved Creativity Inc., the checklist manifesto. Daring Greatly, woo-woo, and Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. She's looking for recommendations for next year. They're open to books on leadership, productivity, time management, and she would love to hear from us. Also, she will watch the Lord of the Rings upcoming series only if Idris Mm. Elba plays Gandalf. Um, Important information for us to know, yes. And I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I started here with The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, which is not directly a business or leadership book, but it's very much a how to be a person who does interesting things book, which I think is directly related to innovation and leadership. Um, The idea of the book is that Shonda Rhimes, who is Shonda Rhimes, like creator of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and so many other pieces of awesome and addictive entertainment discovers at one point that she's really not like living her life. She has this incredible life and she's offered amazing opportunities all the time. But um, her sister, I believe it is observes to her that she says no to everything. Um, And she kind of takes that in and realizes that her sister is right. And, Like, what is she doing that she's in this amazing situation, but she's not taking advantage of the opportunities that are given to her? And she realizes she's really just scared of so much of it. So she commits to for a year say yes to basically everything that is put before her especially the things that really really scare her stuff like give a grad give a commencement speech at a college um, or attend this fancy dinner where she doesn't feel like she's fancy enough to be there but go anyway and see what happens and she writes about a bunch of the experiences that she had during that year and many of them are the kinds of opportunities that normal people you know, just are never going to have, but she manages to write about them in a way that like, it doesn't matter that you're never going to go to the Oscars. Um, You can still relate to what the version in your life of this big, intimidating thing you might not feel worthy of might be. And then how that year of saying yes to things that scared her and intrigued her that she maybe didn't think she was up for transforms her, gives her a, a deeper sense of who she is, really makes her feel powerful. Um, it resonates a lot with the Daring Greatly stuff, I think, especially mm. if your group liked that. Year of Yes is a really good fit. It's very inspiring. Um, it would be a great kickoff book, I think, in January um, for as you're talking with your book club and the folks that you work with about making Decisions. Um, sometimes it's hard when you're changing things up in businesses, and like Jeff and I know that intimately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of uh, scary to take on something new, and how do you navigate that? So, year of yes, I think is really wonderful. Um, I also really loved uh, Joy on Demand, and I think I put it as Happiness on Demand in our notes. Um, but it's by Chade Ming Tan, and it's the art of discovering the happiness within. Um, he is the head of. Oh, he's Google's jolly good fellow, which is like the head of corporate morale, basically. Um, And the book is partially about mindfulness and meditation, but more about how to find good and happy moments in all of the aspects of your life and form kind of a virtuous cycle um, of those with different feedback and techniques that you can use. It's a little closer on the self-help side than on business development, but in a stressful work environment, um, I think also really... Useful. Um, I have found some of the things that he talks about to be really interesting and useful in my own stressful work experiences. So that's Joy on Demand by Chade Ming Tan. Those are mine.
1: Um. So wait, how long do we have to do this show? I'm not, I don't, uh, because I've got a bunch of picks, I guess. Um, maybe <laughs> ones that you haven't heard me talk about on the show because some of the ones you've mentioned, I've talked about Creativity, the Checklist Manifesto, some before. Um, I think these are, these are a couple I haven't talked about before. I should say that I, I think Rebecca... Um, would agree with me that the book that changed our company the most this year was Radical Candor by Kim Scott, which came out this year. Um, We made everyone in the company read it. Um, We've instituted some of the recommendations she's done there. Um, It is really interesting. It's about being honest and open and giving guidance and praise um, to the people you work with. Um, And the Radical Candor of the title is what it's about. It's a, a different kind of honesty, um, with the people you work with. I thought it was really great. It, it continues to be productive and a challenge um, to think about. So that's that's a meta discussion. But I think we've talked about that on the show before, too. I think mm-hmm. I haven't talked about before, largely because they just came out um, last couple of months. The first is The Uterus is a Feature, Not a Bug, by Sarah Lacey. Um, Sarah Lacey is the founder of Pando Daily, which is a, uh, a media company that covers mostly Silicon Valley and tech. Um, she's the, the founder, um, and she's a mom, And, you know, one of their beats is um, sexism in women in Silicon Valley. And coming out of that beat, she wrote this book about her own experiences and what she's seen in Silicon Valley, but also the larger discussion and condition of being a woman who is a mom and being a professional, or not a professional, professional is kind of a loaded term, but being someone who works um, a lot as part of their identity. And not just saying it's okay to be a working mom, um, but to try to flip the script about the, I guess, the almost sort of Hollywood TV show cliche of the stressed out, barely holding it together working mom mm-hmm. and thinking more about the strengths um, and the characteristics and the, the features you get when you are a working mom as an employee and what you get um, from hiring and working with working moms as a colleague or a boss. That was really good. It's on audio at Digital Hardback. It came out um, just a couple weeks ago. Interesting woman, really interesting book, a needed book. Um, The Startup Way by Eric Ries, I think that's how you say his name, Um, R-I-E-S. His really foundational book that every startup probably that's existed since we even used the word startup in pop culture was called The Lean Startup, um, about how to do a lot with a little. Um, His new fuller manifestation of that uh, is called The Startup Way which is about, in short, it's about how to innovate quickly and without costing you an arm and a leg. Um, and he's done a lot of consulting in the years of the, since the Lean startup, and he uses a lot of example from doing innovation at GE and when you think of big Brontosaurus Six Sigma, you know, entrenched corporate structures, it would hard to be to think of more entrenched than GE. So to see him going through giving examples of what they did, how they, you know, saved a billion dollars by not doing a giant engine product um, was really pretty fascinating. There's some how-to stuff. I think it's useful in all walks of life where you want to do something better. Um, how do you get it better, how do you figure out what to do, how you test what you're doing, how you look at the results, and then move on um, from there. Um, this is something that I've been using of late, too. Um, I also recommend The Lean Startup. but Both of those books, I think, would be uh, really great. So those are my picks. Are, the Uterus is a Feature, Not a Bug by Sarah Lacey and The Startup Way by Eric Ries, um, R-I-E-S. And I guess Lacey is uh, L-A-C-Y. Hey, Book Riot Podcast. Hey, I was hoping to ask for some recommendations. Well, you come to the right place. First off, my dad. He's into history, and I'd love to find something new for him. He is mostly interested in pre-revolutionary America, but stuff past that is fine, too. He is really interested in Native Americans, is always gobbling up books about them. Really, any history book that provides new ideas on old topics or that goes into more detail, like when you're a kid, you learn Columbus discovered America, blah, 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 but then you grow up and find out that might not be the case, question mark. So anything that just kind of provides a spin on what we thought we knew, I hope that makes sense. It does. As for myself, I have two requests. I, re- I read A Little Life, which you've mentioned before. That book destroyed me. I will never be the same person I was before I read it. Wow. What's another book that will also destroy me? I've also read The Goldfinch, <laughs> which left me similarly destroyed. Um, and my last one, I read Evicted last year by Matthew Desmond. I loved it. It was so true and powerful and wow. So well done. I was wondering if there were any books you could re- recommend that are similar. Um, Uh, To be super specific, I would love an evicted style book that focused on the heroin epidemic or something related to Appalachian culture. Just a little
0: light reading for the holidays.
1: Yeah, Uh, All recommendation appreciated. She also has a side note about how she is not interested in the Barnes & Noble kitchen. However, she is super interested in getting slightly tipsy and browsing the bookstore, which is feedback we've gotten consistently about the Barnes & Noble kitchen. We followed up a little bit about, oh, wine... And bookstore browsing. Now that is, a, that's an innovation. So there we go. Well, okay. Yeah, you know, what You
0: want to start here? Oh yeah, I'll start. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, with wine and bookstore browsing, my friend Kelly Justice, who owns The Fountain here mm-hmm. in Richmond, will occasionally have wine at some of their evening events. And it's very good for the book sales.
1: I say coffee until four, booze until close. That's what, that should be on the door of every bookstore. Cosine. That's a separate, that's an issue. Uh, for your dad. Lafayette in the Somewhat United States by Sarah Vowell um, about mm. it uses the unusual career of the Marquis de Lafayette um, as a way of looking at the American Revolution and the American colonies, all you know, packaged with Sarah Vowell's specific wit and nerdiness, um, especially good on audio, by the way. Um, I think your dad would really like that. It's entertaining and informative and fun and Val looks at i one thing that she does i think that's unusual is she looks at her subjects warmly and critically um which is really trick tricky to pull off um she's a fan of the founding fathers but also acknowledges their in some cases extremely serious <laughs> character flaws and misbehavior um, which is interesting so that was my pick for your dad I don't know where this thing came up where Little Life became the sort of ur-text er for Getting Wrecked, but I got a little book to tell you about. It's called Beloved by Toni Morrison. <laughs> oh. Right, Rebecca? I mean, I don't... Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's just this... It was new and whatever, but like Beloved by Toni Morrison. I don't know else how, to, how to say it. I mean, talk about a book I was never different after. I still am not... I'm, I'm like getting choked up thinking about it right now, um, but I read it when I was 17. I've read it since then. And I, I don't think any book has ever had as, as uh, strong emotional impact on me as Beloved by Toni Morrison did. So if you're, you know, and I don't know, um, yeah, I, I don't know what is, it's interesting, this book, A Little Life, gave us some new language to think about a book that destroyed you and you like it, like sort of emotional mm-hmm. BDSM when it comes to books. I'm not sure what that's really about, but it's, inter- it's an interesting phenomenon we've heard about uh, somewhat recently. Um, a book also, I mean, again, all caveats, um, these are all, this this is all five alarm snot bomb material here, so you asked for it, but Hunger by Roxane Gay. Um, and if you want to really like wonder if your body will hold together, please listen to it on audio. Um, oh, it's, ha- it's called I A Memoir of imagine. My Body. Uh, and um, I had been, I'd been wanting to do it and I thought I would do it on audio because I knew she read it and I wanted to hear it. And I'd been Putting it off is not quite the... But I'd been sort of holding it at arm's length because I just wasn't ever sure I was ready. Finally, over the last... I guess it was a few weeks ago, I listened to it about two days. And, ho oh boy. Um, I don't want to mm-hmm. spoil it, but um, Roxane Gay has... Um, she describes herself as super morbidly obese. Um, she says at one point she weighed 577 pounds. She still... Um, I, I think she would be okay using the word very fat. Um, but then also why she understands her body to be the way it is, how she deals with it, how she thinks about it, how she, to use her language, moves in the world. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. So if you do Beloved by Toni Morrison and Hunger by Roxane Gay, there, there might not be much of you left, so you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my last pick uh, is, I mean, also a very uplifting topic about uh, <laughs> the Appalachians. This one is actually about the Cumberland Mountains, which is adjacent to the Appalachian, but it's um, uh, it's called Night Comes to the Cumberlands by Henry Caudill, who is from eastern Kentucky but then worked for the government for a long time but then went back to, ta- to, to try to figure out what happened to the place he came from. How did it come to be that this part of America was so poor, so left behind, um, so insular and insulated from what seemed to be going on in the rest of America. Um, it's, a, it's, it's older now. It's, I think it came out in the 80s. Um, but it's, and so it's been a while since I've read it, but I think you're going to find something that's interesting there. might even be more interesting to see that's not written from the perspective of today, maybe. Um, but that's, um, that would be my pick. Night Come to the Cumberlands by Henry Caudill, C-A-U-D-I-L. C-A-U-D-I-L.
0: All right, well, I had Roxane Gay also, Mm. and I don't know if I just missed it that you had hunger as well, but A Little Life did destroy me in a way that I loved, and that experience is hard to replicate. Like, Beloved Mm. definitely destroyed me. There's something about, I think Mm. A a Little Life is so long and so relentless, maybe, Mm. Um, and so that sort of, like, unrelenting... It's like a... It's an emotional marathon to read that book, Mm. and An Untamed State by Roxane Gay did a similar kind of thing for me. Um, like all the trigger warnings possible, oh. but you read A Little Life. Yes. So <laughs> you're going to be fine. Um, it's about a woman whose family is wealthy in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And she, um, she's she been living in the U.S. for a while, but she's back visiting her parents and she is abducted. Um, this is a thing that occurs uh, in places in Haiti. She's abducted by bad men who want a lot of ransom, like millions of dollars in ransom from her family. And her father will not pay the ransom on principle, kind of a, we don't negotiate with terrorists sort of thing. And she's held for, I think it's 13 days. Um, It's been a few years since I read the book. So the details are hazy, but she is held by these men for much longer than anyone wants to be held captive by people who have kidnapped them. And... all of the terrible things that you know and believe happen to women when they're abducted by very bad men happen to her and they happen on the page in this way that Roxanne Gages looks unflinchingly and forces the reader to look unflinchingly at some of the ugliest parts of humanity. It's a page turner. You will hold your breath. Like that was a defining feature of the reading experience for an untamed state and for a little life was I would just realize that I wasn't breathing. Mm -hmm. um, Trying to hold myself together And wishing I could hold the characters together. It's very good and very tough. Um, For your something about Appalachia or Appalachia, as I am frequently corrected <laughs> living here in the <laughs> South. Um there's been, you know, so much interesting discussion and criticism of Hillbilly elegy this year. And one of the books that has risen up as an alternate to it is Ramp Hollow, The Ordeal of Appalachia by Stephen Stoll. And it's how the United States underdeveloped Appalachia. Um, he offers, I'm reading from the synopsis now because I am not familiar with the title myself, but offers a fresh and provocative account and why the Appalachia matters, beginning with the earliest settlers, um, including George Washington and other founders who laid claim to the region. And then even as Daniel Boone became famous as a backwoods hunter and guide, the economy that he represented was already in peril. So within just a few decades of that community first being founded, Appalachian hunters and farmers went from pioneers to pariahs, from heroes to hillbillies. That's a nice turn of phrase there too, Um, in the national imagination. And the area was locked into this enduring association with poverty and backwardness. So the author traces, these developments um, with a lot of empathy and with precision to look at crucial episodes in the history of um, this part of the country, including the Whiskey Rebellion, the founding of West Virginia, the arrival of timber and coal companies, and on and on. So I think if you're looking for a big history that's going to dig deep and sort of start at the very beginning of Appalachia, it's Ramp Hollow, The Ordeal of Appalachia by Stephen Stoll. All
1: right. All right. I think you're reading next.
0: Yes, let's see what is next. Uh, This is from Kelly. She's looking for books for her mom for Christmas, who loves historical fiction and requested a historical fiction book that has a mystery involved. Do we have any ideas? And I have ideas. I feel like I might have talked about this book on our gift recommendation show last year but big like multi-generational family thing with a mystery at the center It's called Orhan's Inheritance by Aileen Ohanesian. Um, Orhan uh, is from his family is from Turkey I, I believe it's Turkey. Um, his brilliant and eccentric grandfather built a dynasty making rugs and is found dead in one of the big vats of dye and Orhan inherits The business, but he discovers that his grandfather has left the family estate to a stranger who lives in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and is this aging woman who's in a retirement home. And Orhan has no idea, like, nobody knows what this woman has to do with their family and why his grandfather would have left the family estate to her. Um, so Mm -hmm. he. Unearths. He, he goes about trying to... This is the mystery. Who is this woman and why? Um, and Orhan goes on the voyage to L.A. and back into his family's history to try to find out what's going on here and what's happening with his family's legacy. It moves between... Um, Turkey and Armenia and L.A., it also moves back and forward in time. So we get to see his grandfather when he was younger. Um, we get some glimpses into who this woman, who's, who's now an elderly woman in L.A., who she might have been uh, earlier in life. Multiple generations of the family and um, a, a big, interesting, juicy mystery there. So that's Orhan's inheritance.
1: This is one that, you know, it gets recommended within book nerd circles from time to time. So it might be something you've already heard of, but uh, maybe your mom hasn't. Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Luis Zafon. He's a um, Spanish writer. Um, but this book is the first book in the Cemetery of Forgotten Books series, of which there are three in English. The fourth is on the way. I think you can read the first one as a standalone. Um, oh, for sure. So a so caveat to O'Neill's razor is that if can, if you can read the first one as a standalone then maybe you can get yourself um, out of that particular bind. Set in post-war Barcelona, a young boy, I can't remember the kid's name. Do you remember the kid's name? Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. No, I don't. it a Wakes up one day and realizes he can't remember his mother's face, who's, I won't spoil anything, but not around. And to try to distract him, give him something to think about, his dad takes him to this special library of books that have been forgotten, hidden away, and it becomes a mystery about a book, an author, a library, kind of a secret shadow book-centered universe. Um, it's engaging. It's long. Um, it's complicated. You can really get yourself entangled and lost in it. Um, and then if she likes that, there's a, you can surprise her. Don't tell her it's a series, right? Say, here's, I think you'll like this. And then you can do that thing that's so kind of amazing, like, oh, my God, there's three more of these, right? Um, so then, but if she hates it, then you can not, like, You know, recommend those. So that Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Luis Afon. That's my recommendation for Kelly's mom. Okay. Uh, Hey guys, I was wondering if you had any ideas for an adult for adult level books or YA books where the main character or storyline includes a dog. I am gifting this to a dog lover who's had a rough year, so please no doggy death endings. If there is one thing that you know, if I had to say, there is one (laughs) plot element that 90% of Book Riot readers hate, it's uh, pet death. Like, that's the one. Mm-hmm. It, the, just don't have yep. a dead pet. Why? Just don't do it. People hate it. So anyway, thanks a bunch, EB. I, this is all, all you. All right. I, I don't, So I, don't know.
0: I will tell you, if you Google books where the dog doesn't die, it takes you to, which I did, it takes you to a bunch of Goodreads lists that are comprised of like 90% children's books. Like so many books about people loving their dogs include the dog dying. And there are some great novels that have memorable dogs in them, but I think the dog dies in most of those too. Um, the novels with dogs aren't so much my thing. The best feel good book about dog lovingness that I've read is You Had Me at Woof by Julie Clam. Um, she is a great and sort just like great and warm and funny writer who um, also helps volunteer with or run in some fashion, a rescue for Boston Terriers in New York City. And You Had Me at Woof is the story of um, adopting her first dog, having that like, oh, my dog is the one saving me kind of feeling that so many people who adopt and rescue dogs end up feeling about that relationship. And then how she becomes involved with the community of dog rescuers. And really, it's about what her dogs mean to her and how they helped her through difficult times in life and kind of, you know what it is to be a dog person. Um, It's really sweet um, and fun and it will make you want to just go out and like adopt all of the dogs. It's very, it's just a great fun little book. It's you had me at wolf. And then my second one here, it does violate the thing that you're asking for because the dog dies. I know, but I know, But sometimes...
1: All right. Well, you caveat it. I mean, she...
0: I caveat it. I'm just going to pitch... I'm going to pitch this book anyway, because I will say, I am also very averse to the dog death books. And I can read, like, just about anything. But... um, Marley and me destroyed me. Like I was reading it several years back and Bob saw me reading it on the couch and was like, you know how that ends, right? Why are you doing this to yourself? And I was like, oh, I want to know how it goes. It's a good book and everybody loves it. And he was like, girl, you are on your own. And a few hours later when I was sobbing, it was like, well. You knew this was gonna happen, right? <laughs> I was like, maybe I just needed a good cry. Um, so the next one is Afterglow by Eileen Miles, who is such a wonderful poet and writer. And the book is about the like 16-year-long relationship she has with a dog that she adopts and how this dog is with her from before she was Eileen Miles, before she really had a career, before she knew much about who she was. The dog is with her through troubled and turbulent romantic relationships, through a couple transformations of identity, and through a ton of professional development. And the book is a memoir about loving this dog, but it's also kind of a book-length eulogy for the dog. Um, So you know going in that the dog is dead. Like it's not a surprise that this dog is no longer alive. There are a few pages where she describes saying goodbye to the dog, but the vast majority of the, you know, 200-ish pages of this book are so beautiful and lovely about what it is to be a dog person, what it is to love your pet. Um even through the difficult stuff when your dog gets old and needs extra care, and it can be very challenging. she writes about it in such a vulnerable way. Um I did make the mistake of reading it in an airport, and I don't recommend that like existential crisis of reading at twenty five thousand feet plus sad dog book is not a good look on anybody. Um, but it's a really, really lovely book. And I know that you're, your person doesn't want to read about doggy deaths, but I have an older dog and I'm starting to think about the, the eventualities of that. And it helped me sort of face what those realities are and think about, you know, celebrating my old dog's life um, in a meaningful way. So that's afterglow by Eileen miles. And I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) While you were, while Rebecca was giving you an answer that you didn't ask for, (laughs) I thought of one that does give you an answer. You did ask for, um, and I don't know why I didn't think about it before. Maybe you, maybe you knew it all about it already. Right? It's one of the famous dog books, um, Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck, in which mm. John Steinbeck goes on a cross-country road trip with, I think it's a French poodle. I don't know enough about dogs to know, but I think it is a, a French poodle. I'm assuming that it even is a kind of dog. But they get into his <laughs> pickup truck, and he and Charlie drive across America. So it's not about the dog, but it is. You know, he's, It's Steinbeck's traveling companion. It's a really good audiobook um choice too. Actually, did I do that on audio? I can't remember. It would be a good road trip book anyway. Mm-hmm. Um but Steinbeck, you know, you get um Steinbeck's lyricism and some dog stuff and you know, it, it's it's a fun book too. A little bit safer. And I and I know I do remember that Charlie, um, which is the dog, uh makes it to um the last page uh with a pulse. So there you go. Okay. Uh, one more we got one more sponsor to do here yeah
0: our uh, final sponsor this week is breathing books if you are planning to gift books to friends and family this holiday season you can you can consider Cornelia Funk's reckless the petrified flesh it's the first book in her fantasy series that puts a dark twist on classic fairy tales it follows talented treasure hunter Jacob Reckless and his shape shifting companion Fox through their adventure in a magic filled pre industrial revolution era world it's great for readers who love a rich young adult or new adult fantasy. Reckless brings all of Cornelia Funk's lush world-building skill to a new fantasy series, and it's ideal for the now-grown readers of her earlier stories. Cornelia Funk is also the author of a popular middle-grade book, Inkheart, as well as The Wild Chicks, which Breathing Books will be publishing in the U.S. in the spring of 2018. Reckless, The Petrified Flesh is out with Funk's independent publishing company, Breathing Books. It's also available on Amazon, but Cornelia and Breathing Books want to encourage readers to support your local indie bookstore and head there for a copy. You can also visit their website, breathing-books.com, for more information. So thanks to Breathing Books, and that is Cornelia Funk's Reckless, The Petrified Flesh.
1: All right. We got a lot. I don't know how many we're going to get to, Rebecca. We got a whole bunch. We'll see how many we can get. I know. We got so many. We might have to, yeah,
0: we're going to have to figure something out We're going to figure
1: out something. Let's trundle on for a little while longer, though.
0: Alright, so this next one is from Meryl. She teaches a group of 8 and 9 year old homeschoolers once a week, and this fall the class has been based on My Side of the Mountain by Jean Craighead George. The kids read a section at home, and then they discuss it, and then they do projects based on the book. They love this class, and they've done so many fun projects. They did fire starting with flint and steel, collecting acorns and processing them to make acorn pancakes, visiting a hawk migration site and seeing a captive peregrine falcon, dissecting owl Pellets and harvesting clay from a stream and making pots. Um, I want to take this class. I was going to say she's the same thing.
1: F- this sounds like so much fun. Sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Um, so this she's looking for their next book. Um, it needs to be a chapter book with tie-in projects that they can do not another survival book because people keep suggesting hatchet to her. Um, she's the Meryl is looking for something that brings in diversity in some way, or is more action oriented than emotions oriented. So that's, it's man, this is a good, and that's interesting one. You kick you us want off? me to go first? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I have two New York based books, um, so for whatever that's worth. Um, One is a classic um, from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler by E. L. Konigsberg, the story, if you don't know it out there already, of a brother and sister who um, read in a certain way, terrifyingly run away from home to go live in the Metropolitan Museum of Art for X period of time. I'm not going to tell you how long because that kind of is a spoiler. Um, but they explore the museum. There's a little bit of a mystery about art. They're coming in and out. So I could imagine a lot of art and culture-oriented things uh, you could do. there. also what it takes for them just to sort of figure out how to live uh, away from home. Uh, so that, that was that's a canonical pick. I mentioned before Karina Glazer, who writes our The Kids Are All Right newsletter. She, her book, a middle grade book that came out the year, is called The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street, and the story there is the Vanderbeekers are a family, a working class family that live. Uh, they rent a couple floors in a brownstone on 141st Street in uh, Manhattan, and they're about to get kicked out. And the kids are trying to figure out what they can do to avoid that fate. So I, I, I'm 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 saying it's like it's kind of like a, a small scale Goonies set in Manhattan, though, without the fantastical elements. But they try some things. They try to figure out what's going on with their landlord, and there are things you can do about music and the city. There's some contraptions that they build, some plots they hatch. Um, And the Vanderbeekers themselves, Karina wrote in such a way that um, we understand that the Vanderbeekers are not white, um, or at least not all of them are white, but beyond that, we don't know. So there's a lot of room for kids to see themselves uh, in the story. Um, it was a really fun book. Again, I read it in one sitting and I'm going to be giving it to a bunch of middle grade kids that I know over the coming years, I know. So those would be my two picks.
0: Okay. I had to ask contributors for suggestions on this one because this one is outside okay. my wheelhouse. So the first suggestion is The First Rule of Punk by Celia Perez. And um, it says, there are no shortcuts to surviving your first day at a new... At a new school, you can't fix it with duct tape like you would your Chuck Taylors, and on day one, 12-year-old Malu or Maria Luisa, if you want to annoy her, inadvertently upsets the middle school's Queen Bee, violates the dress code with her punk rock look, and disappoints her college professor mom in the process. Um, her dad, who now lives thousands of miles away, says things will get better as long as she remembers the first rule of punk, which is be yourself. Um, Malu loves rock music, skateboarding, and zines, and soy rizo, which is soy true chorizo um and she doesn't like cilantro it says um and so she assembles a group of like-minded misfits at school and starts a band and um, the suggestions that came along with this from contributors were you could do stuff around music they could play instruments or form a band you could make zines you could do some of these art projects or even do a like what does it mean for you to be yourself you might not be a punky kid mm. but this is a pretty good first rule for everybody um pick out your favorite outfit that kind of thing um so that is the first rule of punk by uh Celia C Perez uh, the next one is It Ain't So Awful Falafel, which is just an amazing title, um, by Feruza Dumas. It's about a young girl named Zamorid Yusuf Zada, who is the new kid on the block for the fourth time. This time around, she is in a swanky um, California Newport Beach neighborhood, and she is determined to get rid of this brainy loner p- persona that she has and start afresh with a brand new Brady Bunch name because it's the late 1970s. And so Zamorid wants to become... Cindy. Um, She is finding it more difficult to fit in as um, Iran makes headlines in the US with protests and revolution and finally the taking of American hostages. And so even puka shell necklaces and pool parties and flying fish can't distract her from what's going on in the world. Says this is a poignant yet lighthearted middle grade debut. Um, If you have read Funny in Farsi, which is also widely recommended, this is the same author. So you could make falafel. You could do a bunch like your action oriented stuff. It could be um, food around Middle Eastern food and around Iran. There's also lots of like certainly that part of the world is in the news these days, but you could do some history um, and a bunch of other fun stuff. She's also relocated with her family four times. So maybe something like, you know, if you were moving house and starting over fresh, what are the things you would take and what are the things that you would leave? So that's it. So Awful Falafel by Faruza Dumas.
1: Nice. Um, Let's see, this is my read, huh? Okay. Mm -hmm. My father has, this is from Ellie. My father's just started getting into reading over the last few years, and as the family resident bookworm, he often comes to me for recommendations. But I have had a really hard time picking out books he will like. His favorite books are all survival biographies. He has really enjoyed Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand and Endurance, Shackled's Incredible Voyage by Alfred Lansing, I would like to recommend him something that might be just slightly outside his comfort zone. I am thinking of something that has a survival-type feel, but maybe his fiction or biography isn't straight physical survival. I think his most important requirement to be of a likable protagonist. But other than that, if I give it to him as a gift, he would pretty much try anything. So again, Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, Ellie um i mean i we were jo- some of the insiders were joking about um uh, holiday recommend request bingo i'll give you one of the boards i mean the canonical <laughs> recommendation here is the martian but it's so popular now don't you think rebecca like i have yeah. a hard time recommending it just cause, like i don't know whatever i mean you've heard it before if he hasn't read it or seen the movie he would like the martian no question about it by andy weir um my go home don't even think about it i really think you would like this book is a novel called The Dog Stars by Peter Heller. It's about a guy who, um, there's been some sort of, it's, it's fiction, I should say. Um, and it's, uh, something has happened and most of the people are gone and he has holed up essentially in a ranch in Colorado with someone he met who is dodgy, uh, a little bit and he's trying to make it. And it is, I guess you would say I, I guess I never really thought of it as a survival book because it's a, a post apocalyptic well my it's a it's a dystopian situation which you know most of the people are gone it's a survival kind of world but it's very warm it's very emotional um it it has a it has a positive trajectory i must warn you about the animal in the title though um mm. you know we had a rec- uh, Without saying it, we had a recommend- recommendation request earlier in the show that would not <laughs> like this book. Let's put it that way.
0: I'm picking up which thriller. Yeah,
1: out. yeah. Um, so anyway, that's The Dog Stars by Peter Heller. That's my A1 with a bullet. But also, if for some reason your dad hasn't seen, read The Martian by Andy Weir, go get him that one too.
0: All right, my fictional survival story recommendation is Life of Pi by Jan Martel, about a teenage boy who is the son of a zookeeper. And his family is immigrating from India to North America on board a giant cargo ship, along with all of their zoo animals headed for their new home. But the ship sinks, and Pi finds himself in a lifeboat with a hyena, an orangutan, and a wounded zebra. And Richard Parker who is a giant Bengal tiger. Um, pretty quickly, the tiger makes quick work of everybody but Pi, um, who is just surviving on basically cunning and creativity at this point. And he's just out to sea. This is a teenage boy out to sea with an orangutan, a zebra, a hyena, and a tiger in this little lifeboat struggling to survive. Um, there is more to the story, mm-hmm than that. Um, But it's a great, beautifully written um, and winner of the Man Booker Prize book about survival in an unusual situation. Has some fantastical elements. But um, if your dad's been mostly reading survival biographies, he probably hasn't gotten here yet. Um, So that's Life of Pi. And then he may have encountered this because it's one of the famous wilderness survival Mm -hmm. books, but it's alive. The story of the Andes survivors. The book is about 15 or 20 years old, I think. Um, and it's about an event that happened in the seventies when a plane that was carrying a team of rugby players crashed in the Andes and out of like 45 or 50 passengers, only I think a dozen or so of them made it off the mountain alive. Um, so, and they were there for like 10 weeks suffering in the ways that you would imagine people suffer when they're crashed in like snow-covered remote mountains for 10 weeks with pieces of airplane around them and nature to try to survive off of. And then they suffer in ways that you might not have imagined but that are also real. Um, they're forced to do all kinds of things, um, some of which would have been previously unthinkable. It's astonishing. It's one of the sort of landmark survival stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And if somehow your dad has not read into the wild by John Krakauer, um, now that I'm thinking Mm. about it, that would, that would also be a good one. I would be shocked if he's into survival biographies and he hasn't gotten there yet. Um, So this one is alive. The story of the Andes survivors by Piers, Paul Reed, and then um, into the Wild is by John Krakauer. There's also miracle in the Andes, which is um, a different, a different
1: story. Yeah, speaking of Krakow, the perfect storm might be an interesting one along this line, too. Anyway, uh, we better trundle on. Uh, You're up.
0: Okay. So this is from Jessica. She really wants to be intentional about reading more authors that are people of color. Um, She says in theory, she'd like to try some nonfiction, but in reality, she's often bored with nonfiction because it isn't as page turnery as fiction. So if we have some nonfiction that will draw her in and keep her attention, that would be great. Her goal is simply to explore more authors that are people of color, nothing with detailed rape scenes or a main character with cancer or life threatening illness. So that's good to know. Other than that, open to any genre. Also, she and her wife have been married for a year and a half. Congratulations. And they are starting to have the terrifying yet amazing conversation of how to have a family. Do they want to adopt? Do they want to try IVF? There are just so many options. So she is looking for a book with um, a gay or lesbian couple on that journey. Not looking to help them decide what to do, but just to read about a couple Mm. that are in that stage of life. She prefers fiction, but nonfiction would also be fine. So... I dug around and I couldn't find I, I did the
1: same thing. you uh, see my four question marks in the document. I was so yeah, frustrated. I really, yes. really tried made an effort here, and I can't believe there's not one I, I really yeah, can't I could
0: not find like a novel about a gay couple. Having kids it sh- There should
1: be one um, That's funny That gets made into a movie Starring You know yes. Whatever Whatever You know 20 to 30 like year old It actresses of the day are the book version of the
0: prequel are. Yeah The book version of the prequel To the movie The kids are alright
1: Well I was gonna say That's <laughs> like, the one I want a book version of the kid That's exactly what I was thinking Like maybe not that story exactly But that tone Right Like it's seer- or like, like a n- dramedy Kind of thing going yes, on Yes
0: Or like that couple 15 years earlier Yes
1: <laughs> Yes yeah. Yes Anyway I was
0: But I Yeah I dug around and dug and couldn't find anything. So this is a plea Mm -hmm. to listeners. If you know of a book for Jessica and her wife. And me and Rebecca, it sounds like, too. Yes, yeah, Yeah. Um, for the world, really, about a gay or lesbian couple that are on this journey of starting a family and considering their own options, not a how-to or figure-it-out-yourself book, but really like one couple story, fiction or nonfiction, please let us know, podcast Mm -hmm. at bookriot.com, and we will follow up on that on a Mm -hmm. future show. I hope this is a case where it exists and we just weren't able to dig it up. We have but our maybe straight people our blinders listeners. on or
1: something. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Maybe one of our magical librarian listeners mm. has an answer to this question. So email us, please podcast at book riot.com. Um, for, Great engaging nonfiction by people of color. Um, my first go-to is Mindy Kaling. Uh, she well, Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes would have been a great pick as well. Uh, Mindy Kaling's first book was called Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me, and then the second one is called I believe Why Not Me? Um, and so they chronicle her childhood and then her career and ultimately becoming one of the leading women in comedy and television writing. It's funny and self-deprecating. It's uh, if you listen to these on audio, if you're an audiobook person, it is like driving around or walking around or whatever you do with your audiobooks, with a really funny, open friend who tells you all of her embarrassing stuff. Um, and that's just so validating because we all have our own embarrassing stuff and it like makes you feel better about yourself. But she's just great to spend time with. She's really funny and insightful on the page and certainly has an interesting life. If you want to go more like straight nonfiction and not memoir-y, um, Atul Gawande, I think writes just excellent and about as page turnery without like a narrative, um, that nonfiction can be the checklist manifesto Jeff and I both love is about, um, the magic and importance of having checklists and how that, um, helps the world run more smoothly in all kinds of, of interesting ways. Um, being mortal is about, um, medical care, death, and the end of life issues. It's not, it's, um, Tough, but it's not sad. Like it's not cancer. Uh, it's not a character dies of cancer uh, kind of situation. But very thoughtful. And then was it complications? Was his first one that yes, um, I think that's what about broke surgeons. him out. Right. Yeah, he's a surgeon by trade, um, and. By training and complications was his breakout first book where he writes about um, sort of some of the things that we don't talk about as often with medical treatment and complications that occur in surgery um, from a very direct perspective uh, perspective of a physician. It's really, really wonderful. Um, if you did want to go big, juicy nonfiction um, about cancer, mm. but also not sad, oh, bingo. we Where's both. Yeah, Yeah. we both love The Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee, and it's not a recommendation show if we don't bring that up. Like My pitch for it always is that you don't think you want to read a 600-page book about cancer, but I promise you, you do. do. It is compelling and really beautifully written.
1: My pick is You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Sherman Alexie, Sherman Alexie's memoir that came out this year. I did it on audio. I mean, you gird your emotional loins... Um, Jessica, it is moving. It's beautiful. It's funny. It make you laugh and cry. Um, Sherman Alexie's kind of a can do it all author, uh, both in terms of style, but emotional range is you, you'll move from laughing to crying about as quickly, um, with a Sherman Alexie book, especially this memoir, as you will anywhere. The audio narration is, something to behold. Um, I think I brought it up when we were talking about how there are some books, not only are audiobooks just as good as print for counting and experiencing language and literature, but in some cases, I think the experience is superior in some ways, and this is one of those books. On the page-turnery front, it's it's told in these short vignette sort of chapters. So you, you literally will be turning the page quickly, which has its own momentum, I would say. So... Um, it's not dense, but it's heavy <laughs> as these things mm-hmm. go. But you will get through it um, again. You know, Rebecca, and I think you and I were talking before after one of the recent shows about you know coming up with your favorite books of the year, your best books of the year, or the books you would say, if I could only experience these books again, if I had to pick the ones that I... I, I forget everything about everything else I read oh, this year, yeah. but I'm picking these. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't have to say you love me. Uh, makes the cut for 2017 for me for sure. Okay. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Rebecca, really long-time listener and uh, lover of the book where podcast. here all, uh, but it's my first time writing in. Yay. I would love a recommendation for a children's book about adoption. My cousin and her husband have two children, uh, five and three, and started the process of adopting a child from China about a year ago. A book that addresses racial and ethnic differences in a nuanced way and adoption would be awesome. Thanks, Advance. Lacey. This was, you beat me to the research here, so I'll, I'll hit, pass the mic to you for this one.
0: Yes. Yeah. And these are quick. I'm just going to shout the titles yep. for you. This is from Book Riot Contributors. They recommended I Wished for You, an adoption story by Marianne Richmond, The White Swan Express, a story about adoption by Gene Davies Okamoto, um, and Melo So. Or, and May- Yes, Jean Gene o- Davies Okamoto and So Over the Moon, an adoption tale by Karen Katz. So that's mm. I Wished for You. The White Swan Express, and So Over the Moon, an adoption tale by Karen Katz. Um, the next one is one that I can just shout yeah. out uh, one quick answer for, because sadly there is only one quick answer. Um, mm-hmm. This is for a, a person who uh, is looking for holiday holiday romance novels that aren't at Christmas romance mm-hmm. novels. Um, so holiday-themed, non-Christian, that must be available as physical books and are still... In print. Um, And this was stupidly difficult. Like, I'm Mm. angry at how difficult this was and that there was only one answer to it, really. Um, She clarifies here um, non-Christmas holiday romances. So Diwali, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, like, winter holidays, not, like...
1: Labor Day. There
0: are plenty of Halloween. Right, yeah, 4th of July. Um, The library where she works currently has Sarah Wendell's Lighting the Flames, which is a Hanukkah romance, and that's about it. Um, Deborah, I am sorry to report to you that after lots and lots of digging, the only other one that we found um, was also a Hanukkah romance. It's called Burning Bright, and it's four Hanukkah love stories. Um, It's four novellas, each one written by a different author, so at least you get that, like, selection of flavors um, from four different writers and Sarah Wendell wrote a foreword to the book. So it has her stamp of approval. Um, I could not find, nor could the book riot contributor romance experts find anything that was Diwali or Kwanzaa themed. Um, so we will throw this also out to the listenership. If you know mm-hmm. of a winter holiday, that's not Christmas romance novel um, that is available as a physical Print book and still could be ordered into a library. Please let us know podcast at bookriot.com and we'll follow up for Deborah.
1: Um, also, should say that I'm going to list all of the books we've recommended, talked about um, in the order in which we talked about them in the show notes to this episode. So check your podcast player, go to slash listen and navigate. You can find them all here as well. Okay, we got a few more minutes. Um, Jeff and Rebecca, I'm looking for some help on recommendation for my mother. I constantly struggle with picking a book that she'll immediately grab. She's an incredible reader who reads mostly fiction. She loves popular romance, historical fiction, and contemporary fiction. I'd love to recommend her a book that is slightly less mainstream. In the past, I've recommended for her Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, and she hasn't read it yet. The book I'm most surprised by that I recommended and she actually read was Who Thought This Was a Good Idea by Alyssa Mastro Monaco. Is that how you say her last name? I don't think I've ever said mm-hmm. that out loud before. Um, yeah. Thank you both, and have a wonderful holiday. You want to go first? Why don't you go first?
0: Oh, right. Yeah. So, what I'm hearing is slightly more literary, but like very, very readable.
1: Character driven, maybe? Um, so I went f- yeah
0: yes character driven and interesting compelling stories so jay courtney sullivan's novels especially maine and the new one called saints for all occasions are about um family stories maine is three generations of women saints for all occasions is a big catholic family in boston that is coming together after the death of one of the family members and there's family secrets um to be unearthed really lovely thoughtful beautiful writing and careful construction but just reads as a page turner um celeste ing's novels um which are Everything I Never Told You and the new one is Little Fires Everywhere also deal with family issues with questions of identity they are impossible to put down and very very well written and we just mentioned last week that she's been named for the second time each of her books has been the best book of the year um, from Amazon so that's a a huge success Uh, and then the Turner House by Angela Flournoy which is about um, a large family in Michigan coming together um, after I believe the death of their father and dealing with some family issues figuring out what's going to happen with the family's home Um, I think these family stories make for really interesting, juicy characters. And they're also situations that we all have experienced shades of, uh, in one way or another. Um, if she can dig into the character relationships that the women in Ellen uh, Hildebrand's books have, I think she'll really like, um, this fast moving contemporary fiction with really relatable ideas.
1: My pick is Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson. Um, it is a thinly veiled autobiographical novel um, about growing up as a black girl in Brooklyn in the 70s um, and a group of young female you know, tweens and what it meant to be a young black girl slash woman into womanhood in Brooklyn of the 70s, the pre- Brooklyn of contemporary popular imagination of hipsters and gentrification, Um, a different Brooklyn, Um, a a society, a community, uh, a sensibility. It's beautiful, um, lyrical. Uh, It's it's less about plot and more about um, a structure of feeling and a structure of being um, is really great. And I think it would tick a lot of boxes and be a stretch, at the same time, which is what we're here for Tick a lot of boxes and to stretches it's amazing how many recommendation requests we get kind of like that right like I want it to be I want it to be this but also not exactly this which is fun that's the fun ones for mm-hmm. us uh, to do so that's another Brooklyn by Jackie Woodson um, I've got one here that is is interesting just because I love the book and I haven't thought about it in a while I realize I'm laying this so we're getting to the people I'm sorry if we don't get to your show your requests we're running out of time. Um, I do have my first baby in January. I'd love to give my dad a first-time grandpa book about being or about a grandpa, fiction or nonfiction for Christmas. Any ideas? I have an idea. It's not about being a grandfather. It's actually some assembly required by Anne Lamott, and uh, uh, her son is listed as a co-writer, about being a first-time grandmother. But Anne Lamott is so great. You know, I don't know if you're hung up or, or don't want to give him a book that's about being just a grandparent or a grandmother. If you are or you're worried about it, I don't think you should be. It's a beautiful, tender, funny book um, about, you know, what it's like to have a new child in your life as an older person. Also, how it reshapes your relationships, um, you know, up and down the the generation chain. Uh, it's really great. So Some Assembly Required by Anne Lamott is my pick there. All right. What do you think? I think
0: that's got to be it.
1: That's got to be it? <sighs> <Yep>. <sighs> that's it. Um, thank you guys. Maybe we'll
0: rally and do a uh, third round of this next week.
1: <laughs> what? We are? Did you just say that? You just promised <laughs> we, that?
0: We can cut this. I'm not promising. It's a maybe. Maybe we won't. We can cut You're this whole maybe. section. No one will ever no, know. No, it's
1: our show. We can do what we want. We'll uh, decide. We always enjoy doing this. Thank you guys so much for writing in and trusting us with your book life recommendations. Yeah, I, I know the holidays are stressful enough, and you're asking um, virtual strangers to uh, be a part of the transactional relationship you're having with friends and family around <laughs> gift giving. And I know that can be fraught. So we appreciate the trust there, and we always have a good time doing this. And again, let us know. Uh, you know, it, it was it was the dog dying, but it was in the beginning, so it's cool. Did that work for you? Um, or, or do we need to scold Rebecca? You know, did, did, my, did, my dog stars, did my dog stars A1 with a bullet one really work out or was that a, a misfire? We'd love to know. Um, happy holidays to all yours and yours. Uh, Rebecca, I guess we'll talk to you for who knows what we're going to do next week. It, it's a mystery.
0: <laughs> Anything could happen.
1: All right. Bye, guys.
0: Have a good one.